So first of all, I don't know if you can tell or not, but there's a cold running through my family right now, and I was good until this morning, and it starts, it's starting to work through my system and everything. And here's the thing, guys, why do, we, why do we have such a hard time with this? I'm trying to figure that out. Like the ladies, it's like, oh, you have a cold, get over it. And the guy's like, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> and I have a theory on this, okay? So here's my theory. You see, the way that God created men is we just, by nature, this isn't a greater or a lesser than thing, we just have more muscle mass. That's the way God created us. And the thing about being sick is your muscles get achy. Your muscles get sore. Therefore, since we have more muscle mass, we're just going to get more sore and tired. (laughs) It's logical. I have no scientific basis for that, but it's logical. Well, welcome to part two of the series called Greater. And uh, there's just two weeks ago that we were here in this room celebrating Easter. And it was a four-syllable celebration. Celebration. It was amazing in here, the, the things that we did on Easter Sunday. And the reason we celebrate Easter so much is because the, the whole Christian faith is not based on a system. It's not based on doing things. Our whole faith is based on an event, that Jesus Christ indeed died and rose again. And everything is built off of that good news. So the, the last week then, we, we launched this new series called Greater, and it's basically an extension of the Easter celebration. We're looking at specific things in your life that are greater because Jesus is alive. So last week, Ben uh, launched this series in a great way. I don't usually compliment him, but he did an okay job last week. <laughs> he uh, talked about how we have a greater identity because Jesus is alive. We know who we are. We know that we're forgiven. We know that we're God's children. Therefore, we can set our hearts and our minds on things above. And so if you missed that one, you can go online, BethlehemLakeville.org, and you can watch, uh, watch that message there. Well, this week is a really exciting week at Bethlehem. And in fact, if this is your first time here, you're going to get a peek behind the, the curtain, so to speak, to see some things that we've been working on for, for quite a long time. Um, It's it's today that we're launching a new initiative. Many of you know that we have the Impact Campaign. Uh, We know it's crowded in here. We know that you're really close to some strangers right now, potentially. We're working on that. Uh, We're going to build a new uh, ministry facility, twice the seats, twice the space, so that we have a little bit more room to grow. And so that's in the making. At the same time, today what we're going to do is launch another arm of that Impact Campaign. It's called Impact Thailand. And we're going to see how we as a church and as individuals can make a real, genuine impact on the other side of the world. So Ben and I were sitting down, like we always do, and we're like, well, how can we really emphasize this this new initiative, especially like in the message for today? And it was like a no-brainer to us. You see, the thing is, we are the body of Christ. And the thing about the body of Christ is that when you come together, you can do greater things. You can do more together than you can do alone. And so we're like, okay, that's easy. Body of Christ, we're going to preach on that this weekend, and that's going to really launch us into this new initiative. And so I sat down uh, to get ready for the message. Do you guys know the feeling of when you're preparing a sermon and then like your whole idea just drops out on you? You know that feeling? I kind of got that feeling. I looked through all the places in the New Testament, and this is basically a picture that the Apostle Paul used for Christians in the first century. He referred to groups of Christians as the body of Christ. 
And so I looked through all these different passages that are in the New Testament. I did a lot of studying for you guys this week. I looked through all of them, and here's what I was looking for, okay? I was looking for just one place where, God ta- where Paul talked about the body of Christ as a call to action. That's all I need, God. I'm just looking for one passage where we as a body can be called to action. We're called to do things greater together than we can do alone. And I went down one by one by one by one, and wouldn't you know it, this is what I found. Fill number one on your sheet. The body of Christ analogy is not so much a call to action at all. (laughs) It's a call to unity. And what really confused me about that is when you read Christian books, or especially if you listen to Christian radio here in the Twin Cities, there's a certain station where you're going to hear it over and over again. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We're called to action. We're called to do things. And that's true. But this specific analogy is never used as a call to action. It's a call to unity. And so rather than just dumping the message and saying, well, I guess we'll do something else, I continued this line of thought. And what I discovered is something even greater. The call to unity as the body of Christ is so much greater than just a call to action. And the Apostle Paul, in in this section here, he's going to help us understand why. And so here's who this message is for. Number one, if you're a regular attender of Bethlehem, this message is definitely for you. I hope that in this message that you can see how maybe you've been a part of a body that you didn't recognize, and you didn't recognize your place in it. And there is something very meaningful that God wants you to be doing even now. And if you're not a regular attender, if maybe you're just our guest, or if you're trying to you know, see if this is the church for you, what I hope you find in this is what we want the church to be. There's plenty of reasons to walk away from church and to not like it, but I want to give you a picture of the way God intended it to be and how this congregation is working to make it work. And you too can be a part of it. So I looked at all these sections, and there were a bunch of them, and I said, well, which one am I going to pick? And you might be wondering, Matt, why did you pick that one? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 is the longest section. I, as a pastor, when I entered this office, I took an oath that if I can say things in 10 words, or two words, I will choose 10. That's what pastors do, right? They talk a lot. No. So the the reason we picked this one, or I picked this one, is because in this section, Paul explains for us why even use this analogy, body of Christ. And he's going to make a lot of parallels between a physical, real human body and then the body of Christ and why there are so many parallels there. So we're going to dive in here to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm just going to warn you up front, the first part here, you're going to be thinking, this is weird, this is common sense, there's parts of the body talking that normally don't talk, and we're going to, we're going to figure out why Paul is using these kinds of words. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what Paul said to a group of Christians in the first century. If the foot should say, now picture of the foot talking, Because I am not a hand, what kind of accent would a foot have? (laughs) Probably be kind of muffled. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Foot is just down there. He's looking up at all the things that hands can do. Hands get washed so many times a day. They're kept clean. Hands can make things. Hands can give hugs, can give handshakes, can give high fives, and the feet just stink. (laughs) We step in things with them. 
I mean, we take a shower every day, but let's be honest, it, there's a lot of times maybe we forget to wash that part of us, right? And so the feet can get neglected, the feet don't get washed, the feet are just stinky, and we'd prefer to keep them covered most of the time, right? So the, the feet are looking up at the hands like, man, you guys are so cool. We don't belong here. We're not as great as you. Paul's point, it, it would not for that reason, the feet would not cease to be part of the body. We'll apply this in just a second. He goes on to say another analogy. So there's this other thing. There's this ear, and he's looking at his neighbor, the eyeball. And the ear is making some observations. Man, those eyes are just so complex, so amazing. They can see so many things, so much detail. And all I am is a flap of cartilage on the side of the face. And I'm too big. I'm too floppy, right? The ear, because... Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Paul says it wouldn't for that reason cease to be part of the body. I want to make a quick, quick application to some of you. Some of you have been looking at other Christians and you see how generous they are, how talented they are, how seemingly spiritual they are, how, how engaged they are, how their mind just seems, seems to, to work differently, that they're just patient, there's just this peace about them. And, and you're thinking, I am not that. And maybe I'm not one of those church people. These other people, they're singing, they're praying. Some people raise their hands, not sure what that's about. But I just don't feel like I belong with them. Paul's going to talk to you about that. Next verse. If the whole body were Mike Wazowski, (laughs) where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If, if, if you're just a part of the body wanting to be a different part, you're wanting something that doesn't make sense. We, we know this as far as anatomy goes. We understand that the purpose of the hand, the foot, the eyes, the ears, they're all important in different ways, right? But why is it that we get so caught up in envying someone else for what they have and who they are? One more, then I'll drive it home. But in fact, God has placed, this is just anatomy, he's not applying this yet, he's placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God wanted your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your feet, your hands, where they were. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, one body. Here's what I want you to think about. Are you undervaluing your place in the body? Whether you're a lifelong Christian or you're just starting out, have you kind of tapped back? Have you kind of stepped back and said, well, I'm not quite sure I'm to that level yet. I need to wait. Here's what I want to challenge you with. God will continue to grow you and change you the longer you walk with him. But what God desires is for you to recognize your place is not an accident and your abilities are not an accident. He loves it when you simply are functioning as part of the body where he placed you and how he placed you. So for the one, one takeaway from this is sometimes we undervalue ourselves in what we can do, but there's the opposite side of this too in the next verse. This is what he says. So the eye cannot look down at the hand and say, hand, you think you're hot stuff? The feet want to be you or be with you? How does that saying go? Um, the, you think that you're, you're all cool. Well, you know what? We don't need you. Get out of here. Uh, just like the head cannot look down to the feet and say, oh, feet, I notice you're down and out. You'd rather be the, the hands. Well, you know what? You should be down and out. We don't need you either. right? The, pe- the parts of the body cannot say to, to each other, hey, we don't need you because every logical person recognizes each part has its value and each part has its purpose. 
So why is it that we can look at other people and say, well, you bring no value to this group, to this body, to this team, whatever it is. Why can we be so quick to push others out? And that's the second part. While we undervalue ourselves, sometimes, a lot of times, we can undervalue other people too. Here's a phrase. This isn't on your sheets. It's extra credit. When parts don't work together, plans won't work out. We know this anatomy, uh, physiologically, body-wise. You know, when, uh, for example, if, if there's a person with an organ transplant, and I know some of you know people who've had organ transplants and people you loved, there's this thing called organ rejection. And when that organ is being attacked by the body, it, it, the body doesn't recognize it. What does that do to a person? They're not making plans about what to do next week or next month. They're not going on a hiking trip. They're not doing great things because their body is sick. When the body is working against each other, you shouldn't be asking, well, what can, what can we do? And this goes back to what I brought into the message initially. I said, God, I just want a place where you're talking about how the body can, can be doing things. And God says, no, 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 no. See, if the body isn't healthy, it won't do anything. Here's the second fill-in on your sheet. Disunity begets dysfunction. And I've never used this word in a sermon, so I had to put it in there. Disunity begets dysfunction. We know this. Some of us know this from our work environments, where you're on a team or you're on a, a certain group or a part of the, the, the business, and you have a certain task, but there's so much disunity within your team that the task is hindered or even missed. Some of us know this in a family where there's so much disunity within a family that there is no possible way to function in a healthy way. But for me, the saddest thing is to have a church, a group of people that's on a mission to share God with the world, to be full of disunity and therefore dysfunction. Now, each of us can improve when it comes to recognizing our place and our abilities in the body. All of us can grow and be forgiven for downplaying others, other people's roles and, and their value that they bring. And there's always ways that we can improve, but here's the cool part about today. The cool part about being at Bethlehem today is that we're celebrating that we as a body are not like this. You see, if there was so much disunity within our church and if we were fighting against each other and arguing with each other, we would have to step back and say, hold on, let's slow down, let's figure this out. But we've determined and we've, we've seen that we're in such a strong place of unity. The body is so healthy that we need to go out and do something. We need to keep moving. We need to do more. And so we're coming up with a new initiative to, to make an impact beyond our country on the other side of the world. This is our time to move and to go because God has blessed us with, blessed us with such unity. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's not because of, of me. And it's not just because of Ben, although he plays a part in it. It's not just because of us. But when people come to Bethlehem and they, they come back and I say, well, what brought you back? And they say, the people here. The people here. There's just this genuine unity and love and, and energy. question is, how do we get here? It's me. <laughs> no, no, no. You ask Paul that question. Paul, what is it that brings great unity to a body so that you're in a place to, to go out and, and, and do things? 
And he's going to help us answer that here in this next part. What brings unity? On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker. I love this. The weaker parts are actually indispensable. We recognize the weaker parts, the foot. God bless the foot. It's stinky, but we need the feet, right? Um, the, The parts that seem weaker, that seem more dishonorable. What is it that we do? The parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Now, scholars aren't quite sure what Paul had in mind, what parts of the body. Well, what we simply know is this. He's making a case that no part is insignificant. The house I grew up in had this room that we called the dining room. Some of us have this in our houses where we have a room just for special meals. Some of you have that? And this dining room that we had at, at the house I grew up in, it had this nice, soft carpet. It was, it was light-colored with a hint. I don't know if it was purple or pink or both. I can't describe the color. That's how amazing it was. <laughs> and in this room, we had this nice, um, antique wooden table. We had these beautiful chairs around it, and we had this marvelous chandelier. And some of you know this. When you turn on a nice chandelier, what does it do? Holy moly. It's like lighting up the entire, you know, atmosphere. And so this bright, 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 awesome chandelier in our dining room. Now, guess how often we turn on that light? Two, three times a year? You can't mess up the carpet. The carpet's too nice. The table's too nice. So two or three times a year, we would have, you know, a family meal or whatever in that special room. So chandeliers are great. Chandeliers are prominent. Sometimes when you walk into a house in the entryway, there's this prominent chandelier, and you're like, wow. But I'll tell you what, at 2 a.m. in the morning, you're not worried about the chandelier. You're worried about the nightlight, especially if your kid's about to throw up and you need to get from their bedroom to the bathroom (laughs) as quickly as you can. You want that nightlight to be on. Here's the point. The chandelier is prominent, but the nightlight, I would argue, is more significant. Fill in number three. Some of you might be feeling more like the nightlight. And you're looking up and you see the musicians, you see these awesome pastors up here, and you're like, man, I'm just not that prominent. I'm just not that up front and center. I can't, you know, engage that many people at once. But you know what? I'm going to make an argument for you. I can interact with whoever's willing to walk in these doors on any given weekend. That's prominence. What's significant is that you can go to work on Monday morning and be the love of God for someone who's given up on God. That's significant. We don't need to confuse prominence with significance, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. Because if you're feeling like like a nightlight, guess what? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And he wasn't just looking for, for chandeliers. He was looking for nightlights. He was looking for people who can just simply be significant. So how does it come together? Chandeliers, nightlights, everyone in between. How does it work, Paul? How do we become this one body that's working together? And the answer is, it's not about a task. The body of Christ was never used to imply that there's a call to action. The body is all about unity. Here's what Paul goes on. We'll finish it up here. God has put the body together so that there should be no division, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal, I love this phrase, equal concern for one another. Yes, different, yes, different tasks, different purposes, hand, foot, eyes, ears, all different, but they have equal concern. 
Well, why is that? Because, next verse, if one part suffers, we know, some of us know this from experience, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If your back is hurting, your entire body is out of commission. If you have photophobia and your eyes cannot open in the light, your whole body is out of commission. If one part suffers, we know this, your entire body suffers. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices, is honored with it. This is great, but what brings us together? What's the glue? It's actually better than that. Now you. He doesn't say if you go through a class, you'll become the body of Christ. Or once you get a little bit more mature, you'll become the body of Christ. He's talking to this group of Christians in Corinth. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And they're on fire. Yes, this is great, but let's, how do we do that? What does it look like? And I'm skipping a part here, but Paul goes on to say, there are some that are great chandeliers. There's apostles like Paul. There's prophets, there's pastors, there's teachers, there's, uh, uh, there's evangelists, there are administrators, there are comforters, there are encouragers, you know, people with all these great gifts. Paul said, don't get too fixed up on that stuff, though. No matter what you are, there's one greater gift that you should look at. Next verse. They eagerly desire these greater gifts. What's the greater gifts? There's three things that bring a body together. Number one is faith. Faith, that there is a living Savior who coordinates the body for his church. Faith that there's a greater body than just coming together for action because there's a living Savior who is in charge of all things for the good of his people. But you know what? Faith is only necessary for a certain time because faith is confidence in what we don't see. And one day we will see him face to face who is the head. Hope. Hope is what brings a body together because hope is confidence that God will do what he has promised to do. And it's this common hope that drives us together. But there will come a day when hope is no longer needed because we will have the fulfillment of God's promises in heaven. There's this last thing. Love. Paul makes the case the greatest of these is love. Well, why is that? Because... You see, love is the thing that binds the church together, but it's so much stronger than that. I've been wrestling with trying to find the words for this, but when, when love is what brings a body together, it's not based on a task because you can accomplish a task and then no longer need the body. When, when a group comes together, it's not just about doing something, it's about who you are. And I was wrestling to try to put this in the most concise way possible, and I hope I hit it with number four on your sheets. Jesus' love is more than just a bonding agent where he puts things together. It's a multiplying factor. This is the good news about being a part of the body of Christ. That when you hand out water to someone, it's not just handing out water, but it's handing out water out of love for God. And that love is what will change a person's life. So when the body comes together, it's not just one piece plus one piece, and that's the end. It's a multiplying factor that when these two pieces come together, they impact two more, which becomes four, which impacts eight more, and you can get the picture. Each part is a significant part of the body. And the thing that we're celebrating this week is that we know that the body of Christ, the analogy used, isn't about a call to action. It's about a call to unity. Disunity will bring dysfunction, but we celebrate the unity God has given this church because of the love we have for each other based on the love God had for us.
And so we're going to roll out some opportunities for us as the body of Christ. What I, what I hope you walk away with today is maybe just a thought. Where has God placed me? What gifts do I have? Even if I'm not prominent, what does it look like for me to be significant? And as the body works together, I'm going to tell you, it's so much better than just a bonding thing. It's a multiplying thing. The body will work together for a multiplied impact. Well, I hope you can come back again next week. We're going to see that even more things in your life are greater as a result of Jesus being alive. Because of him, we have a greater tomorrow. And we'll talk about that next time. Let's close today with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I wish I could talk about the body of Christ today and say that we always get this right and we're always the perfect model of what you want us to be. But anyone in this room could find numerous reasons why, because the body is still made up of sinful people, it it can still be full of disunity. It can still hurt. It can still do these things. My prayer is that you would continue to bless our, our congregation and churches across the world as they seek to find unity through faith, hope, and love. And as they do so, may you make our, our, our body, both um, as, as one whole and as individual churches, make our body so healthy and strong that we can't help but make an impact in this world. So bless everyone here today. Help us to see our place in your kingdom, whether prominent or significant or somewhere in between. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.